continuing on with Revelation. We're going to do chapters 8 and 9. Uh, I'm going to read I'm going to read both um, again. Uh, and once again, I want to remind you that, that this is metaphorical language, that this is highly visual, that uh, what John is wanting us to do is to feel it, wanting us to imagine it, wanting us to experience it, wanting us to, uh, to really just sort of get in the flow of what's happening here. And sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it's super uncomfortable. Uh, when you're reading this book, it kind of feels weird, outlandish, um, and that's all on purpose. Uh, so as I read it, uh, you can follow the words behind me. You can follow them if you've got them. Um, or if you want, you can just close your eyes and imagine it. Uh, that's a, all of that's appropriate. Um, so this, it'll be in front of you on the screen as well. Uh, so before we read it and experience it and feel it, let's pray. Once again, thank you, God, for your word. Come Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that as we, as we read these words, as we feel it, imagine it, experience it, um, be with us in all of the ways that we need it. Help us to hear your voice. Amen. Revelation chapter 8. By the way, after we're done reading it, I'm going to go back and I'm going to sort of review where we've been. So... When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with all the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of all God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, hurled it onto the earth. There came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. God hears the prayers of the people. God hears their cries, right? And apparently, it moves God, and things happen on earth. Oh my goodness. Then the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to sound them. What are these trumpets about? The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet. A great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night." As I watched, 
I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, an eagle, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the three other angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a giant furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who didn't have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. Like the CG on this movie would just be incredible, wouldn't it? Like, can you imagine that? The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past. The two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of humankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of humankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. We will go that far. <laughs> okay. What do you say about that? <laughs> okay. So, again, this, this is meant we're going to stay high above, right? Because there's no, uh, there's no hidden clues here. There's no, uh, there's no pattern to be found. There's no secret code to be decoded. And we can, there's, none of that is happening here. This is meant to be felt. This is meant to be experienced. This is meant for 
a whole lot that we'll get into in a few minutes. But first, we have to remember where we are in the book of Revelation. We have to remember where we are in this vision because this is a whole vision. It all fits and flows together, right? So this vision starts way back in chapter 4 if you remember. And in that vision, there's this vision of of God on the throne in the center. God is the center. And everything else sort of just surrounds the throne. All of creation, remember those four wild, weird-looking creatures? They're just super weird. They're meant to, to, to convey all of creation is pointing to something beyond itself, pointing to the, the creator of heaven and earth. In the right hand of the one on the throne is a scroll. We talked about how this scroll is God's plan to heal the world, to put things back together again, to take that which is broken and making it whole again. We all long for that, don't we? We want the world to be whole again. Like We all have this ache inside of us. We all look around at the world and there's something inside of us that says, we just know this, that, that things aren't the way they were intended to be. Things aren't the way... They were meant to be. They're supposed to be. And we all all have this ache. And we want it to be put back together again. Like there's something wrong and we would love for God to put the whole thing back together again. Now, God has this plan. It's in this scroll. It's in the right hand of the one on the throne. And the only one who can open the scroll is the one who can put the plan into action and make it a reality. And we find out that the one who can break the seals... And the one who can enact the plan is this lion lamb. It's this weird lion lamb. He's the only one who can put the thing back together again. So this is, by this point, we know we're pointing at Jesus here, right? His victory will be sweeping. It will be complete. It will be lion-like. But it will not come through the ways of the lion, through violence and destruction and coercion and manipulation. It will come through the ways of the self-sacrificing, self-giving love of the Lamb. It's the only way the thing gets transformed. It's the only way. So we're pointing to Jesus on the cross, self-sacrificing, self-giving love. Then we get to chapter 6. When the lion lamb begins breaking the seals, we think to ourselves, yes, God is finally going to put the world back together again. We get to see it on the pages of this vision. It's going to be awesome. And we, instead, we get violence. We get destruction. We get war and famine and death. Like, What's happening here? Last week, we talked about it. Like a good doctor, God is getting to the bottom of things. Like a, like a good doctor, God is making sure... God knows exactly what's wrong and exposing it so that it can be completely healed, right? Then we move to chapter 7, right? And we have more worship, right? We get this picture of God sealing God's people, claiming God's people for God's own self. God is essentially saying through this vision, in spite of the brokenness of the world, in spite of the mess you're in, in spite of the mess that, that you've made of your life, I'm king, I'm on my throne, you belong to me, and I got your back no matter what. So that's it. That's my paraphrase of chapters 4 through 7. Real quick like, now we get to chapter 8, we get the seventh seal. It gets broken. And again, as we're reading this, we're feeling, yes, finally, the seventh seal, that means that everything's going to be put back together again, and we get to see it again, and we're so excited about it. And no... Not yet. 
when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with all the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Like everything in heaven just stops. Everything stops. The music, the singing, the dancing, the praising, it all stops and God listens. God listens to the prayers of the people. Heaven stops. All of heaven is silent. And God listens. Oh, we live in a noisy world, don't we? Our world is, is noisier than it's ever been. We live in a world with words and messages and all sorts of things coming us, all sorts of noise coming at us from all sorts of different directions all the time. We all carry around in our pockets supercomputers. Like by all accounts, really powerful computers. And we get text messages, we get phone calls, there's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok, and I've lost count of all of it. Like there's so much coming at us all the times. We're just surrounded by words and message, messages. Everybody is talking. Everybody is talking at everybody else. Just get on. If you're on Twitter or Facebook, which, whichever one, everybody's talking. Is anybody listening? Everyone's talking. Is anyone listening? Think about, think about the people who lead us at the, at the highest level of leadership. Is anyone listening? Like, they're talking at each other. Look, midterms are coming up. It's about to get real. We're about to watch it all happen again. We're going to have all sorts of candidates talking at each other. And we'll wonder, is anyone really listening Right? This is an oversimplification of things, right? but sometimes hyperbole is important because it helps us get at the heart of the matter. But it seems like we have two sides, they talk at each other, nobody hears a word anybody else says, and nothing gets done, period. Gross oversimplification because there are all sorts of other things involved like money and politics and special interests, and we won't go there because that's too political, so we don't do that, right? No. Right? There's all gross oversimplification. I get that. But is anyone really listening? How many surveys have we had? How many surveys have you seen about whatever different issue revealing that a large majority of the people who live around us in this country want things to change, want things to be different, and yet nothing gets done? Like, there's all kinds of things we can point to, and it never happens. It feels like no one's listening. No one is listening. Think about what it's like to really be heard. 
just think about what it's like to really be heard. Like when you bury your heart, when you bury your soul, when you bury your feelings from the deepest parts of yourself and someone listens, really listens, they don't have to say anything, but they hear you. You get a sense that your life matters. You get a sense of, of dignity that you deserve along with every other human being deserves. Think about those who love you the most, who you love the most, your friends, your family. Right? When you bear your heart, your soul to them, these are the people around you to whom you can do that and you know you will be loved. You know that no matter what, you will be accepted. You know that you matter to them. When you pray, when you stop and you pray, all of heaven stops. And God listens. Just think about that reality. Just dwell on that thought for a moment. No matter how crazy the world gets, no matter how crazy your life gets, no matter how much pain you're in or how real the struggle becomes, when you pray, all of heaven is silent. God is like, shh, I'm trying to listen. All of heaven is silent. And the creator of the universe listens because your life matters. So we pray. We do. We cry out for God to fix things. We cry out for God to rescue us. We cry out for God to, to make things whole again. And the next thing we hear are the seven angels blasting their seven trumpets. And we see death, destruction, violence. We see a third of the earth burning up, a third of the lights in the sky just being snuffed out. We see water turning to blood. We get all sorts of images borrowed from, from all kinds of different places in the Old Testament. And they're brought into this vision in, in Revelation, including the 10 plagues that precede the rescue of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. More death, more destruction, more violence. What's going on here? A couple of thoughts. First, all we're seeing is a replay of the events that we saw take place in chapter 6. Only this time, it's like from a different angle. In chapter 6, we see it from the perspective of the church, from the people sealed by God as God's own who are trying their best to give their lives to the one who sits on the throne. And in this vision, we get it from the perspective of the world and it ain't pretty, it hurts, and it's uncomfortable because God is once again exposing evil. God is judging it by its exposure, by allowing it to be seen for what it is. God is judging death, destruction, violence. Anything anti-creation, God is judging it by exposing it, allowing it to be seen for what it is. How many of you know the name Ray Rice? Ray Rice was a football player. This happened a few years ago. So 
he gets in trouble because of domestic violence. Um, and it wasn't pretty. So uh, he had his fiancée in an elevator, right? The NFL heard about it, gave him a two-game suspension, right? Some people thought, that's enough. Sometimes we lose control. Okay, two-game suspension, that's appropriate. Other people thought, no, it needed to be more than that. Well, a few weeks after the NFL suspended him for two games, guess what happened? A video came out, showed him knocking her out, flat, cold, showed the violence, the brutality of the whole thing, and everyone went, the NFL went, they rescinded the two-game suspension and made it a whole season. The violence was judged by its exposure. When people saw it, everyone went, ah, ah. Let's put that first picture up there. You recognize what that is? That's a powerful image, isn't it? So that's June 5, 1989, Tiananmen Square, Beijing. A group of pro-democracy students were protesting against the Chinese government. And how does the Chinese government respond? Unarmed, nonviolent protesters and they send in the tanks. Violence is being exposed, and by its exposure, it's being judged. We all look at that and go, no. That's a powerful image. Let's go to the next one. Peaceful, protest, nonviolent. Look at her face. Look at the serenity there. Look at the patience there. But look at the resolve. She's being confronted by armed. Look at the background. Why is that image so powerful? We know why it's powerful. I don't have to say a word about it for us to go. Violence, destruction, anti-creation is being judged by its exposure. Are you with me? Okay. So through this vision, John wants us to know that God, the lion lamb, is sovereign over all of it. And even though for evil to be dealt with completely, it has to be allowed to be seen. It has to come out of the dark, and we see it doing its worst. The next question becomes, why is it taking so long? Like we're 2,000 years after this vision that John gives to the church. Why is it taking so long? Why doesn't God just get on with it already? Why doesn't God just 
put things back together again. Make the thing right again. Make it whole again. The answer, first off, who am I to say? We're just sort of, at this point, we're speculating. But it's an informed speculation because we know who Jesus is. And we know who Jesus revealed God to be. So it's an informed speculation that we're doing right here because this book doesn't give us the answer. So we just have to go on the heart of God and who, God, who Jesus revealed God to be. So my speculative answer, God is way more patient than we are. God seems to be tempering God's judgment with this thing called grace. In ancient times, trumpets were used for sounding an alarm. They were used as warning signals. So a watchman would be up in the watchtower on the wall because cities were fortified and surrounded by walls and there's a watchtower. So you'd have a, a person up there, the watchman up there with the trumpet ready to see if any threat was coming. And if an invading army was coming, they would blow the trumpet. And everybody inside the walls would know, trouble's coming. Time to do something about it. It's a warning. So this vision, it's like a, it's a warning. And it's like a mirror that John is holding up to the world. Right? This is a, a, a warning that simply says, Something wrong is something is wrong in the world. Look at it. Don't look away. Look at it. Sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror to see what we've become. But John is holding up a mirror and he's saying, look at it. There's something wrong with the world and y'all are involved. You're all, you're all complicit. This is where you're headed. These are the things that are going on. You're going in the wrong direction turn around. Go in the other direction. So this vision becomes an invitation to repent, for the world to repent. Now that word repent is an important word. It means to change your mind. We don't like changing our minds, but it means repent, change your mind. Or if you're walking in this direction, it's you're going in the wrong direction, turn around, go in the other direction. And repentance is really hard. Look at the end of chapter 9. Look at what it says. The rest of humankind that were not killed by these plagues, that were still around, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, and stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. Repentance is hard. It's really hard. We know this. Psychiatrist Stephen Groans puts out, points out to, to research that shows that we don't usually respond right away when a fire alarm sounds. Think about that. When was the last time you heard a fire alarm? Did you go, I'm out? Uh-uh. No. We stand up. We look around. We look for signs of the fire. Where's the smoke? Where's the fire? We listen. Are people screaming and running for the exits? Like, 
We don't do what we're supposed to do. A warning has been sounded. Get out of the building. Use the emergency exits. And we don't. We stop. And we look for signs. We don't heed the warning. Right? And sometimes because we don't use the emergency exit, and we don't do it right away, it ends with tragic consequences. And he points out that the simple reality that change is hard. Even when it's a warning that there's a fire in the building, change is hard, and we resist it. Committing ourselves to like a small change that we know will be beneficial long term is often more frightening to us than just ignoring the alarm or just continuing the way things are. Even small changes are hard. Repentance is hard. So the invitation this morning is to stop, is to turn around, it's to repent, it's to go in the other direction. Is there anything you need to turn away from right now? Anything? Like maybe it's a Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's someone you have anger or resentment toward. Maybe, maybe this is an opportunity to turn around and offer forgiveness. Maybe it's a, a, a destructive pattern of behavior. Right? Maybe it's a habit or an addiction right? that just needs to be brought out into the open, exposed, seen for what it is, so that it can be dealt with appropriately and with help and a community that loves you. So God's invitation this morning through this vision, it's hard to look at. It's uncomfortable to feel. Sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror. But this is an invitation this morning to repent, to turn around. By the way, I'm reading this book called Jesus and John Wayne. I know I'm late to the party. Some of you have read it. That's a hard mirror to look in. For church people, in fact, so hard to look in that some just dismiss it as trash. Won't look in the mirror. Won't deal with it. This is an opportunity to look in the mirror. To see ourselves for who we are. To repent. To turn towards God. God invites us to work with God in the healing of all creation. In the restoration of all things. So what do you, we, need to turn away from. I don't know what it is for you. If you don't know what it is, I have a suggestion. Talk to the people who love you the most. Ask them to be honest with you. Dangerous. Here's another suggestion. Pray. Pray. Because prayer in and of itself is an act of repentance. It's a turning toward God. Be ready to act after you pray, but pray. Because prayer in and of itself is an act of repentance, a turning toward God. And what happens when you pray again? Oh yeah, all of heaven stops. And God listens, the king on the throne the creator of the universe, the one who is at the center of it all, holding it all together, says, shh, quiet, listening to my child speak. God listens 
because your life matters and you are loved beyond all comprehension and there's a better future out there for all of us. Let's pray.